Imagine being financially free at the age of 28. Sounds impossible, right? Well, not for our guest today. Whether you're someone just getting started on your financial independence journey, or even if you're well on your way to FI, you'll want to stick around for this episode as we dive into house hacking your way to build up a healthy portfolio of rental properties, as well as replacing your income through passive dividend paying stocks and much, much more. To be honest, this one was pretty inspiring for me and was a reminder that there's some humans out there who have really achieved some pretty fucking cool things. So I hope this episode inspires you the same way it did for me. If you're new to the show, my name's Tom Moffat, and I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host Brandon Love. Our show is geared towards helping Canadians achieve financial independence through real estate, investing, and entrepreneurship. So if that sounds like you, be sure to hit that subscribe button and follow along. So let's dive right into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Invested Entrepreneur. Brandon Love here with my good buddy, Tom Moffat. And we have a guest today who's achieved the goal very early in the journey, and that is Colton Lukey. Colton's here to talk with us about how he achieved FI by age 28 and what he's been doing in the three years since. So welcome to the show, Colton. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to it. To give you context, how I found Colton was the YouTube algorithm kind of kicked in and I'm as listeners probably know, I'm always on YouTube kind of searching and learning his channel popped up. I'm like this guy. Okay. FI at 28. That's pretty cool. Like what's he doing? And like, I love how you're very upfront with how you show your whole portfolio with your dividends and you're kind of showcasing your journey along the way for listeners. So I guess my first question to you is like, what first got you into discovering financial independence and the whole FIRE movement in general? Yeah, for sure. So the journey really started back when I was 16, because during that time, all that you would see on the news was the 2008 financial crisis. And that's all my father had on the TV at the time. So I think I really got exposed to finance, to money to kind of the understanding that money is very important in this world, right? And that's where my interest in investing really started. And that was the first time I actually made an investment. My father opened up a brokerage account for me. I put a thousand bucks in there and I bought American Express shares. Simply for the only reason that this guy named Warren Buffett was buying it, he seemed to know what he was doing. So that was my first journey into investing. And it wasn't really until two years after that 18, where I started realizing that I didn't want to work for somebody else my entire life, that life was too short. It just didn't make sense to me to work that same job for 40, 50 years. And maybe at the end of that, you can retire. So for me, 18, 19, I really started focusing on, okay, I need to focus on money and investing. What's the fastest way to get to financial independence? And this was obviously before there was YouTube kind of the way it is today. And I stumbled across real estate and it was actually on YouTube that some random guy was talking about it in Australia. Out of all places, his name was Nathan Birch. A lot of people have never heard of this guy, but uh, his early contact was very simple. You buy a house, you live in one unit, rent out the other, and you repeat that process multiple times, eventually become financially free. And uh, that was kind of the main start of my investing slash financial independence journey, what piqued my interest. And from there, I just, through education, self-education and investing, I just was able to do it. And by 28, my wife and I reached financial independence. Awesome. That's great. So you started with the house hacking strategy and just kind of snowballed property after property from there. That's great. And your wife, I'm assuming she's 
bought into this strategy and game plan because we talk a lot about partnerships and it can be a challenge when one person's going for like FI at a young age. I'm sure you had to make some sacrifices and make strategic moves that way. Having that other person in your partnership get on the same page can sometimes be a bit of a challenge there. Yeah, I like to say that I was very fortunate, very blessed to find a partner who understood the importance of money. So to give you some context, she came to Canada when she was 16 to start college. So she started college extremely young. She was an international student and we met in second year. So I was 20 and she was 18. And uh, as an immigrant, I always call it this immigrant hustle. You're always trying to find ways to save money and make money. And for her, money was very important. So we got along very well from the very start. Of course, there's always hiccups and ups and downs, but we both have this goal where we just wanted to have enough money so we could travel the world, make sure our families, like our parents were taking care of if anything happens, God forbid, an illness or something that happened to us. And yeah, I mean, now we've been together for uh, over 11 years now and married for over two years. So definitely having a partner that aligns very well is a key part to our success. Yeah. yeah. And I think she's like right there involved with you too, right? From what I saw with some of your videos, like she has her own portfolio. She does all the investing as well with you, which is pretty cool. It'd be cool to have like that partnership together in going towards that FI journey. Yeah. I think like if we go back to when you first started, like, you technically dove into the stocks and kind of just followed what the best was doing, Warren Buffett. But then how did you stumble upon house hacking and really diving into that? Because real estate was really what kind of exploded for you and kind of snowballed, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, again, going back to that, to that individual, Nathan Birch, who kind of just you know had it on his YouTube channel. But more or less, it was the only way that I could calculate me actually affording a home. That's what it really came down right. to, right? Was a lot of people are scared to house that because, oh, I'm going to live with a tenant and what happens if this or that. For me, I just didn't have an option, right? I was never a high earner, didn't have a ton of savings. Like we got started with $12,000. That was it. So the only thing that the bank would approve me for was a $210,000 max house that had some income coming in. I was forced to house hack. I wanted to house hack because my goal was to never make a mortgage payment. That was like, our goal, right? We don't have to pay our mortgage and we can have a tenant pay a mortgage. Like we're going to be so much ahead financially than most. And that's what we did. We stuck to that plan and we ended up finding an old cigarette paradise, 1970s bungalow in Welland, Ontario. Was the best. Uh, I mean, it was a disaster. I didn't know what I was doing, right? You know, peel back a wall in the basement and there's six foundation cracks. So it's just a part of the journey, right? But it was really... I just didn't have an option. I couldn't afford to buy that nice first four or five, six hundred thousand dollar dream home. I like that because I feel like so many people go with the mindset like that their first home should be like HGTV, perfect everything. And there's so much to be gained from just getting into the market and rolling up your sleeves, getting into it and figuring it out along the way. And one, you force appreciation doing some of that work and getting in there. But two, your mindset is just also like, okay, I'm starting and I'm just starting where I can start and I'll build from there. Not I'm going to sit and wait and hopefully jump in at a point where with appreciation and everything, a lot of those people just sit and wait and become professional renters. Right. Well, and to me, another thing was when people always said like, oh, I could never live with my tenants. I'm like, dude, you live in an apartment building. You have a tenant above you, a tenant below you, a tenant behind exactly. you on both sides. Like, what's the difference? Yeah. At least you own the house and you only have one and you have a backyard, right? So... Yeah, I think a lot of people regret buying their first house, especially when they try to buy the HDTV house right away. 
just people I talked to, they're like, yeah, I really wish I would have either bought something a lot cheaper or something with some income potential. Because that one thing alone, I think, can create many millionaires. If you just did that as your yeah. first house, oh yeah, you're going to be ahead so much more. You said that many times here on this podcast, and we just did it in an episode, I think, recently, focusing on house hacking too. And that's something I... I don't regret it because like you only know how much you know at the time. But if I could go back to my younger self, I would have house hacked my way up to building my portfolio. I did it the hard way. I got my primary residence for scaling on the outside. But you really hit all three trifectors with that. Like the first one being easier mortgage qualification from a rental perspective. You have that rental income coming in, so you're getting approved for more. And secondly, you have that tenant paying down your mortgage. And thirdly, you're forcing that appreciation through your renovations in there too. So you hit all three buckets and that's impressive. So from there, how many times did you do that? Well, we lived in that house right up until we live in the house we have now. But what we ended up doing though, was we were able to take out equity from that first house. And we then you know, joint ventured with my friend a duplex and we did that again and again and then finally we have enough capital coming in where we were buying houses just in our own names so although we only house hacked once that first house allowed us to get into the market allowed us to put some sweat equity in build up that large nice pool of equity but then take all that capital out and we refinanced that house three times over the course of six years we just kept rolling out in more and more real estate and for your audience just a quick plug here i did write a financial step-by-step guide it is available on amazon and it just details my journey and how anyone can really buy their first house with well if you're in the states three and a half percent down but if you're in canada between five and ten percent down you don't need a whole lot of money and that's what i think a lot of people aren't educated about is that they think you need a hundred two hundred thousand dollars when in reality you don't right yeah, I think the house hacking piece flies by the radar on a lot of people because they hear, okay, I can buy owner-occupied home with as little as 5% down, but if it's a rental property, then I need 20%. And they right. think, okay, now I need 20% because there's a rental component, but it's not the case. With an owner-occupied, you can get it with as little as 5%, and that rental income, you actually get 100% of the add back to your qualification. So it's yeah. huge from that angle, but a lot of people miss the opportunity just because you know financial literacy in Canada is not top notch. We're taught how to do a bunch of other math that we don't use when it comes to finances. Not much is taught there. So I like that you have a book, very simple to guide people through that and follow along the journey because the other piece is a lot of content comes from a US perspective and a US lens. Whereas you're looking at this from someone who did this in Ontario. And then you've also put in a little bit of geographical arbitrage in there because you're now working from out east, correct? Yeah, we moved, packed up full time and we're living out east now. That's awesome. So lower real estate prices there. Was that part of the FI plan? We were financially free before that. But what we really started noticing in the summer of 2021 was things were really starting to get frothy. Like we just felt like there's no way this market is going to continue to stay like this. There was multiple indicators that I was talking about, channel and stuff like that. We just made the decision that we were going to sell everything in Ontario and we'll go to East. And at that time we had three properties out East and this was during COVID. So we were buying on site unseen and or flying out there and going around some rules and stuff like that to do inspections. But yeah, we knew nobody out here. We have no family out here and we just saw the opportunity. And that's why we came out here to really level up and to make sure that financial independence was going to stay forever. Nice. That's awesome. And where out east are you currently? Nova Scotia. Nice. 
Do you have most of your portfolio in Ontario or Nova Scotia? No, we sold absolutely everything in Ontario by March of 2022. And uh, we have everything out east now. And then we do have some land in the Caribbean as well that we might develop in the future. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And how do the tenant laws in Nova Scotia compare to that of Ontario? Much better. It's funny, all the real estate investors, some of the novice ones or rookie ones complain about the rules here. And I said, you guys have no idea how hard it is in Ontario. Like there are still evictions from three years ago. I've never heard back from in Ontario, right? But That's insane. money money were being owed, stuff like that. So here it's a, there wasn't a rent cap before. Now there is a rent cap of 5% per year, but the government in charge is really not in favor of rent caps because I think you guys all know that that doesn't bring a solution to affordable housing. So but with that being said, if you do have to do an eviction here, it's usually 60 at the max 90 days it takes, where compared to Ontario, like I said, years it could take, yeah. right? So yeah, the rules here are a lot more favorable, which is another reason why we want to come out here. And then obviously just the price point, although the prices have doubled here in the last two years, there's still many opportunities and rents are rising and many jobs are coming to the East Coast. So I do see a lot of future growth here. Yeah, and you get a great like setting. I love being on the East Coast. Just everything's so much more laid back. The vibes are great. I don't know what the middle of the winter is like, but last well, thing everyone thinks the winters are horrible here, but they're way better than in Niagara. Okay, nice. yeah, right. it's not like more even keel through the year. Like you don't have the extreme hot summers, but you also don't have the extreme winters. Yeah, like last year, I think it got besides that one rare cold snap that went across the entire country, like minus yeah seven maybe, but today it's minus one and it's sunny. There's no snow on the ground. It's been like this it's for a little bit here. Nice. Well, I have so, yet to go out there. Like that's on the top of my list. I want to go out East for sure. The summer. Yeah. Hands down. I used to go to Nova Scotia a lot. I had a buddy that went to Acadia and Wolfville. So I'd go yeah. to fly into Halifax, go up there, party. And then I took Levy out to Newfoundland this fall. I love the East coast. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And then just like any area, there's pros and cons to everything, right? But we just saw that the opportunity here, the future growth, I saw more future growth here than I do in Ontario and other provinces. So that's why we mainly focus out here for our real estate investments. And it's just a beautiful place as well. And right. do you travel down south too in the winter? Yeah, so we try to. We were just in Columbia for almost eight weeks. We had to come back because we're in the kind of in the middle of a real estate transaction that's decently sized. So we wanted to make sure we're here. We're doing inspections this week and stuff like that. But yeah, we try to go south. We try to travel combined at least three, four months out of the year if we can. But again, we're full growth mode still in our real estate portfolio. So we want to make sure that we're taking advantage of opportunities when they come Still though, like eight weeks, who can say you can go for eight weeks straight? I work in a T4 job, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's cool. Like, is it safe to say that your real estate portfolio, well, you tell me, is it cash flow heavy or are you working that appreciation over the long term? And then the dividends are kind of like your cash flow. So the dividends are a place where I park my money just to get a nice little boost in return. At any moment, I will turn around and sell that dividend portfolio if the right real estate opportunity came by. Now with real estate here, you get a nice mixture of cash flow and appreciation. But to me, I never really cared about appreciation. To me, it has to cash flow, right? Because I'm very risk adverse to my real estate investments. So if it doesn't cash flow, I won't buy it. And really now we're at the point where we're looking at 12 unit buildings and up. We tend not to look at anything smaller. We may if the deal is right and it's in our area. 
but generally we're looking for more of those bigger multifamily properties that we can value add and over long-term boost rents and stuff like that. Cool. So getting into those bigger units, that's a bit of a, a journey and a transition from a financing perspective because you're getting more in the commercial space. Walk us through your first deal. How did you get into it? How did it come to you? And so on and so forth. Yeah. So what I know now, I think it's actually a heck of a lot easier to do commercial financing than it is buying a residential duplex or triplex because it's all based off the building's performance. Yeah, you might need more capital, but it's easier because the building qualifies for itself. They don't really care so much about your income. So now that we're financially independent, we don't have your traditional T4, we're forced into kind of this commercial lending. And really, I can't really say that it was much different besides just a couple of little tiny things. They want us to put 25% down instead of 20. Our amortization was 25 years, not 30. But now we're kind of, we're in this next chapter of our real estate training where now we're refinancing in the CMHC. And what a lot of people don't understand is you can now get into these multi-million dollar buildings for as little as 5% down, right? Through the MLI Select program and stuff like that. So this opens up, and this has been a program for a while now, but I feel like it's really, they're starting to promote it more and more. So commercial financing, a lot of people are scared away from it, but once you realize that as long as the building cash flows and makes sense, it qualifies for itself. So it's no different than residential financing in my opinion. Obviously you guys are the experts, so there's little tiny differences, but from an investor standpoint, the first deal was a five unit building and $200,000 fiveplex, which I know is crazy. And that was in 2020. So this was right during COVID, everyone was panicking. So we got our first deal, but East Coast, a lot of buildings are run down because they're older landlords. So obviously you have a little bit harsher hurricanes and stuff like that coming every few years. So we put about 30 or 40 grand into it. But with, five, with that fiveplex, we had to put down 25% because some of the units were vacant and stuff like that. But then a year later, we burned it and it came back at 435000 I believe. So we were able to pull out all that equity. We didn't CMHC refinance into it. We just did a regular one. And yeah, it produces healthy cash flow. And that was just more fuel for the sixplex, the eightplex, the twelveplex, and stuff like that. Nice. That's awesome. And do you have like preferred lender you use on your commercial files or you kind of shop around? Okay. We have a commercial mortgage broker out here in the East Coast who's an investor himself. Our projects usually take one to two years. We'll generally go with RBC. They seem to be the best for commercial for a one year, and then we'll renew into a one year if we need to. And then from there, really, CMHC is just whoever really has the best rates and the best terms, what bank works with them the best. So, yeah, I think it's a couple of like, smaller credit unions that we're working with for the CMHC refinances. Nice. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So I would actually kind of like to pivot to the dividend side of things because selfishly like i kind of want to start diving into that as a more passive way to invest my money from the business so with the dividend investing maybe you can kind of just explain like the bare basics for all listeners like how does it work how do you get started what are some of the big misconceptions and maybe some of the pros to it as well okay this could be a deep rabbit hole so i guess for your audience super high level a dividend is company earnings paid out to shareholders, extra cash they have left over, they pay out to their shareholders. Now there's dividends and there's distributions. I focus on more distributions, although people really don't know the difference between a distribution and a dividend. A dividend is what I just said, company earnings. A distribution is generally made up from people writing options on stocks to generate income and then paying out to investors, stockholders. So I generally only invest in ETFs. So 
what that is, is just a bunch of different stocks put into one, or it can be individual stocks where they write these covered calls. And all they are is betting if the stock's going up or down. That's all they're doing. It's very simple. It's more complicated when you're actually doing it, but high level terms. So in Canada, we're really blessed because we have the tax-free savings account. And unfortunately, it's labeled the wrong thing. It should be a tax-free investment account. So I always tell people that because a lot of people just put their savings in there, their cash, and they think that's it. That's the stupidest thing because you're earning one, two, three percent. With a TFSA, you can open up at any brokerage. My brokerage of choice is well simple because wealth is simple and it's free and they don't charge any fees and it's very simple to use Hence, well simple so I open a TFSA up in there a spouse can have it as well you're allowed a maximum contribution limit every year and anything you make in that account is tax-free and that includes your dividends so what you can do over the course of 5 10 15 20 years is build up these TFSAs these tax-free savings accounts you and your spouse to the point where you can have two, three, four, five, six thousand dollars coming in through dividends by the time you're ready to retire, 100% tax-free compared to your RRSP, which after tax dollars going into a tax-free vehicle, that's then taxed when you take it out. Yeah, makes no exactly. sense, right? You're, you're yeah. paying double tax. It's a scam. That's what it is. Yeah. But we do have some RRSPs because when we sold off a big chunk of our real estate portfolio, we want to offset our taxes. These taxes. Exactly. And when it comes to dividends, I always say that in the stock market in general, a lot of people are afraid to invest in the stock market simply because they just don't understand what it is. They don't understand what they're investing in. They invest in something because their friend told them to without actually understanding the company. So to me, what I tell a lot of people is, do you know what Apple is? Yeah, I know what Apple yeah. is. It's a big company. Do you think they're going bankrupt anytime soon? No. Do you think more people are going to continue to use their products? Yes. It's probably a good company to own that, right? And while you own it, you will get paid a dividend as well, or you can own the ETF version and get paid a distribution. So really for us, we just own the biggest tech companies in the United States, in Canada, and we get paid distributions because the ETFs we are invested in. The funds do the cover calls, they generate income and pay them out. So we're big fans of purpose investments, the yield shares there, as well as harvest ETFs. We've been very happy. We've been investing in them for years and we get a nice distribution and growth. It's, do you have it just in your TFSA and RSP, or do you have it in a non-registered account as well? Yeah, all three. So we max our TFSAs first, and then if we have anything left over, we'll go into our non-registered accounts. And then, well, I don't think we'll ever really contribute to our RSP again, but that's yeah. just on drip. So that's just constant. Yeah. Dividends get paid out, just get automatically reinvested, and then take that out whenever we decide to. And I know you're comfortable with this. That's why I'm going to ask it. But can you share with listeners what your... I know it changes all the time because you're pulling out from your dividends and investing in real estate. But if you can go over your numbers today with the passive income coming in from the dividends, do you have an idea? Yeah. So right now between our TFSAs, our non-registered accounts and our RSP, the total value is 592,000. The total amount invested is 525,000. And between all three accounts, in February, we should be generating $7,022 a month. Dividends. A month. Yeah. I mean, there's someone's job right there. Like, that's unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And 2300 of that is tax free. Yeah. And you're not touching that when you. Right. Because it's through our campus. Yeah. Exactly. Still appreciating. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So that's the thing with dividends. Now, this is a type of product that we're investing in. A lot of people, these are newer products, right? So as technology, everyone thinks that you, know, you have to stay invested in mutual funds or index funds because that's what's been around for 20, 30, 40 years. But 
if you invested in just the financial sector and you never invested in tech, you lost money every single year. You did not even keep up with inflation, right? So you have to adapt to technology. And that's where now, you know, there's these ETFs that are available. Understand them, make sure you're comfortable with them. And for us, they've worked very well for the last, we've been investing in these for six, seven years now, these types of ETFs, not all of them because some of them are newer, but mainly ETFs for yeah six or seven years and they perform very, very well. Has there ever been a thought where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to like hang everything up and I'm going to kind of just sell off all my properties and just put them into dividend and just fucking ride the wave. Uh -huh. I had that thought not too long ago while we were in Colombia, and we recently went through a change of property management and uh, extremely stressful and yeah. a lot of headaches and a lot of things found. Yeah. There was just some like, geez, we could really sell everything right now and really have very little headaches and just do what we want to do. But to me, we have pretty ambitious goals and I don't think stocks would ever get us there because you don't get to use leverage and you don't get the tax yeah, exactly. incentives, right? Yeah. I remember in Canada, this is why I'm a big fan of house hacking too, just to go back on your point is like your biggest expense in Canada is not housing, it's taxes and then it's housing. So with house hacking, you can kind of eliminate both or get both down. And with real estate, you definitely can bring down your tax. So that's why we're still focused in real estate. Yeah. And that's honestly like, I'm so torn on that every single day too. Cause I'm like, man, I'd rather just sell everything off and be more passive with it. I don't have to deal with the headaches, but then part of me is like, well, the leverage in real estate is just hands down so much better than just appreciating on the money you have in your traditional investments. I'd rather make the appreciation off of the property value in the bank's money versus just having everything in my traditional investments. But man, it's like the angel and the devil on my shoulder every day. So I hear you on that. For me, like I absolutely love shopping for real estate. I love looking for deals. I love negotiating. I love walking through buildings. For me, like if I was just to watch the stock market every single day, I probably lose my mind and yeah. I'd be bored. So to me, yeah. real estate really does keep me busy. And I know it doesn't matter what happens in Israel. My real estate is not going to be affected. Very right? true. But my stocks are going to go like this. And you're young. So, like, what would you do? Like, that's what we talk about all the time. Because you're our age, 31, right? Yeah. So like, 31, 33, 32, yeah. So if you like kind of sold everything off and then just kind of like retired, like the whole, like the traditional fire movement where you're actually retiring early, it's like, man, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Like I like keeping busy and building stuff. And that's what you're doing with the real estate. You're building this empire, this portfolio. So yeah, I like that too. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people think that like people say, you know, early retire. It's like, you're not just sitting on a beach reading book doing nothing. Like to me, it's yeah. being financially free and retired early is being able to do whatever the hell you want on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. And if you have a passion for something, you can actually do it now. Right. You can't really do your passion when you're working an office job. You can't. Right. And I was never really able to truly enjoy my passion, which I think is educating others about finances and building a real estate portfolio kind of stuff that we're doing right now. Yeah, because now expanded into, well, you've got your book and now you have your YouTube channel that you have quite a bit of subscribers on there and a good following, a good community. So it sounds like that's what you're passionate about now is the teaching aspect with your book. Like how long did that take you to write? Like, I don't even know where I would start with like writing a book. This little tiny book here of 64 pages took me like two and a half years to write. <laughs> I think I say two and a half years. I'm like, yeah, I feel like an idiot. No, Two and a half years because when I first got the idea, which was back in 2016 when I bought my first property and I went through like all these headaches and these scared moments, I was documenting all this. And I was just like, uh, who's ever going to care? Like, I know nothing about real estate, right? But I look back and I'm like, that would have been perfect time. 
because I forget a lot of the stuff now, right? But yeah, it took me two and a half years to kind of get fully finished. And now I'm writing the second version, which is how to buy multiple properties now after your first. And I'm working on that one for about six months now. So probably another year. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. I think it's great to document that stuff and to share it because it's a perspective that you yeah. think who's going to care, but actually it's like all of these insights where I would rather pay $9, which I think it is on Amazon right now, and learn from your mistakes than duplicate that mistake and have it cost me $9,000. 100% agree. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, I think sometimes we take for granted the knowledge we have, like for Brandon and I being in the mortgage industry, you being invested in real estate, you take for granted these things like house hacking. And sometimes you think like it's a general knowledge, but if you look at like a percentage wise, I bet you like the majority of the population has never heard of house hacking. So I think that's part of it too, is like people just aren't educated with that, which we touched on before. And it's not their fault. It's just not general knowledge. So I think that's where... Sometimes we have either analysis paralysis or the thought in our heads like, oh, no one's going to really enjoy listening or reading this thing because you think they already know it. Yeah, I feel in that respect, you just have to share it and then you'll get the feedback from people. Yeah. And like someone will ask you to go deep on something and that gives you your answer of what to explore further. And I think that's one thing I try to tell people is I just feel as Canadians, everyone's so terrified to talk about money. It's like a taboo topic. But when I go talk to like my friends in the States, they're open to it, right? Like they're talking about money, capitalism, investing, everything like that. In Canada, we're so timid and scared. And I tell people, share, share your financial journey, share what you're interested in, share what you're investing in, because you never know who's listening, Yeah. right? Like I remember I've met so many people just by talking with my friend about real estate investing at the gym. A guy came up to me and he owned like 72 units. And I learned so much from that individual, but if I never spoke openly about real estate investing, I never would have met that individual, right? So I always tell people, be comfortable with talking about money. If you don't have money, well, there's nothing to be worried about. Right? Yeah. You might as yeah. well talk about it, learn about it, and try and get insight from others. Yeah, we're of the same mindset too. I've always been comfortable talking about money because I actually like, I enjoy talking about money. That's why we have this podcast. Yeah. I feel some people, maybe they're timid on sharing like their numbers, which I get like, if you don't want to share your whole like portfolio number, that's cool. But I love how you do. I like seeing the number breakdown like you and uh, there's that other dude on YouTube too, Canadian in a t-shirt. Like that's the kind of stuff we need because we need to see those numbers in front of us to actually make sense of everything. For sure. And that's why like mainly I just document why you, I think you thought really I was just a dividend investor at the beginning. Yeah, I, did. I just feel like dividends seem to be more attainable to most people. Right. Right. Or real estate, it seems still to be very scared. People are scared to invest in it because of all, you know, their cousins, nephews, Jim, it's in the John, news. right? It's in the news, all this sort of stuff. So that's why mainly I focused around this dividend thing. It's easy for me to share. I don't talk so much about the real estate. I'll talk about a current deal I'm doing sort of thing, but nothing really in depth. Just for that simple reason that more people just seem to be interested in the stock market. And I think now it's a lot easier to invest with apps like Robinhood in the States and all simple right? It's super simple. It's super cheap. It's easy to use. And that's why I really geared a lot of my videos, my content towards dividends. Yeah, it's awesome. So Colton, if people want to find more of your content, we'll share your links and all that stuff. But why don't you tell us your handle for anyone who's not looking at the show notes? Where can they find yeah, you? So on YouTube and Instagram, it's passive income living. Very simple. Okay. I'm also on Twitter. And yeah, that's where you'll see pretty much up to date information about my dividend portfolio and kind of what I'm doing on a regular basis. 
Awesome, man. That's great. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your FI journey with us. I think it's really inspiring to see someone same age as us, you know, early 30s, who's already achieved it and now just focusing on giving back to the community and scaling up that fat fire there. Absolutely. And one thing I want to tell your audience, dream as big as you possibly can, because you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish in such a short period of time when you are focused. So have big goals, big dreams, and you'll accomplish them. Just keep at it. Love it. And you're firing me up, man. Well, we'll end it off with that. That's a good high note. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, man.